it was dead calm. And so just walking in, I could hear bucks sparring. I could hear deer moving around in the dark. I don't remember ever hunting one particular tree three days in a row. And that's what I did to kill this deer. I didn't know he was a really good deer. I didn't know he was that big until I walked up to him. And at this point, he's like three yards from my tree. I had killed a couple of deer in the 80s, uh, but never had broke that 190 mark. The challenge of late season bow hunting, that was a huge factor in why I hung a stand there that morning for that hunt. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris, here with my sidekick, Evan Williams. We got Jared Mills on again. Jared just jumped on here, and we've actually been sitting here having a conversation about how Evan looks like he's been stung by bees, man. I mean, the kid's always been, you know, for the last five years, you've been a beast, Evan, but you've put on some serious muscle weight here recently, and uh, we were kind of picking his brain about what got him into being, you know, going on this physical journey that he's gone on. And, uh, I was telling Jared how Evan used to be a runt. Uh, he and I met years and years ago. Um, he was the bow tech down at our, our local pro shop here, Bill Pellegrino's archery hut. And dude, Evan, you weighed 155 pounds. And, um, what, how tall are you? Five, five eight what between yeah. five eight and five ten depending on what convenience oh, no, no 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 we're, we're gonna go five seven and three quarters <laughs> okay according, according to my wingspan for draw length yep five seven so i know you can't see him but gosh dang man how are you gonna you're gonna get to a point where you're you're gonna have a hard time like being stealthy i think no no we're in we're in leaning season so, Whatever, dude. Look at your arms. You've been you're having an allergic reaction. <laughs> I'm gonna go put on a sweatshirt so you can't I see know, small dude. my arm. Well, Me too. <laughs> I'm a little blown up. Little, yeah, a little, little stung. Well, man, how old are you, Jared? 35. 35. Okay, well, dude, I've hit this age in life where every time I turn around, there's another problem. You know, I've been complaining to Evan. Um me and I was in Salt Lake City and we were working out at Evan, at Evan's little gym that he's got. And I tweaked something. I tweaked my left knee and I just had my right knee fixed like a year and a half ago. And so that tweak on my left knee has continued. This is four, four months later. And it's it's like just as bad, if not worse. I developed plantar fasciitis all of a sudden. And like yesterday, I went on a run. And I have an ankle that just started hurting out of the blue. And it's just it, every time I turn around, it's something else. It's falling apart. I'm, it's so frustrating. I'm pretty it's sure. A run, I'm pretty sure a run is what injured your knee. You getting competitive with Yosti coming around that corner and doing a full out sprint at the end of a 35 minute workout for a hundred meters down in my garage. Ooh, it's well. tough. It's hard to accept too. Like, you know, when you're used to being competitive and active your whole life. And like, for me, I'm, like I said, 35, but I, I start to feel it too. I play softball one or two nights a week and, you know, no one goes out and stretches before those things, but now uh, I'm at the point like you got to stretch, like, otherwise you're going to be, you know, yep. you're going to be hurting. So I, I've definitely reached that stage too. Dude, <laughs> I, I, when I go out and play softball, I tell them, um, you know, just 
in between innings is is long enough for my shoulder to you know go from warmed up to not warmed up and if i'm playing in the field like out in the outfield i don't care if the game's on the line that ball is going to the cutoff man otherwise i will lay down and cry in the field well good for you for realizing it because a lot of guys just it's you know a second nature to go as hard as you can all the time but yeah yeah you just can't and, and Jared, have you, you're in Iowa. Have you, did you grow up in Iowa as well? I did. Yeah. I moved around a decent amount growing up, uh, but I, Iowa is still what I call home. High school athlete or like, like yeah. is, is that some of your background? Yeah. Baseball, basketball were the two sports I primarily played. And then I went uh, and played four years of college ball down in St. Louis. Okay. Um, and then moved back to Iowa after I, I graduated from, from college. So yeah, I mean, sports is, um, baseball has always been my number one love, but, um, just, I, I love doing anything I can just from a competition standpoint, a you know, physical standpoint. So sports has always been a, a big part of what I've always done. Yeah, which, a- which St. Louis, did you go to SLU or? Uh, Maryville university. It's a, Mary- a D2 school on the West side of St. Louis. Okay. Chesterfield area. Gotcha. Well, there's a, I've always said, I think there's a direct correlation between guys that are, you know, the things that you learn in those athletics earlier that makes you ultra competitive when it comes to doing things like hunting later on, you know, and the successful guys, a lot of times that's, it's not all the time guys get that all over the place, but guys like you that are ultra successful at it. Um, a lot of times that's their background. You know, it doesn't surprise me. I think it's, yeah, I couldn't couldn't say it better. I think it's even bigger too from a life standpoint, not just, you know, the bow hunting, but the the amount of intangibles you get from from sports that you can apply to almost everything is is critical. I I mean, I tell people, everyone I meet, I tell them those, those are the best four years of my life. Those four years of being a student athlete in college the amount of discipline it took, the amount of management it took, you know, just from time management to just the dedication of the workouts and the, the schoolwork, everything combined. Like there's no doubt I'd be a way different person if I didn't get to experience that. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny. I was, uh, I was thinking about you today and I, the first time that we had you on me and Evan had you, uh, we were talking about shed hunting. And then the last time you were on here, you uh recorded a podcast and we had a guest we had bill winky was our guest host and mm-hmm. uh that's right that was, that was october 5th of this last year and the thing that sticks out the most to me i mean that was a really interesting podcast it was about it was about killing whitetails during october and you guys it went kind of in depth on it there's a lot of guys that struggle that time of year and you know there's the, the October lull that everybody talks about. And, um, but the thing that stuck out to me in that podcast was how you were talking about just on your cameras in early October, right then you were saying something is different this year. And, you know, you had been in a rut, um, not in a rut, I'm not in a rut. I'm sorry. You were saying how, um, how it had, it had been dry around there and you just weren't seeing as much movement as there typically was. And it was almost like you were, uh, you were expecting an odd year as in not as much deer movement or maybe, maybe a late rut or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And lo and behold, 
now we're back and we're having a conversation about this season of seasons that you had, you know, which is so ironic. It is. You just never know. I think it's a perfect example of not to get discouraged in those situations, right? Like it it was certainly a year where I didn't know what to expect. I don't think I expected anything negative. It was just like, I mean, I have no idea what buck I'm going to target and it's already October. It was just like, you just don't know what's going to show up. Everything seemed to be a little bit later. And my, most of the properties I hunt are kind of like that. They're not great summer properties. So I expected a little bit, but it seemed for whatever reason last year to push back a little bit later than even normal. So, yeah, I mean, if, if only you could, we could have seen the, the future at that last conversation, you know, would have been different, but it's a good example of not to, not to get discouraged and kind of just kind of just trust the process, I guess. And, you know, still, still do what you normally do even if things, you know, maybe are a little bit different year to year for who knows, there's a, there's a multitude of reasons of why that could have been. Um, but it's just about trusting the process and just, just still doing what you know you can do and, and how, how you hunt. Right. 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 Well, and, and didn't you, did you buy a new farm or pick up a new farm this year too? I did. I bought a new farm. Um, I guess it would have been almost one year ago today. Uh, it would have been last June is when I first got access to the new farm. So yeah, I knew that was going to be very much a, a learning process and certainly didn't expect to kill as good of a deer as I did on it that first year. It was a very raw kind of cattle pasture like farm. Um, and I bought it for that reason. Cause I enjoy seeing that process and, and, you know, making it into a good hunting property. So there's certain, certainly some luck involved there that, uh, that good of a deer happen to show up that soon but yeah that was just another factor Evan, in the the unknown going into last fall well it's funny that yeah i mean one of the other things that you said in that last podcast was that you feel like you know that october time frame especially before the pre-rut really kicks off is a good time to um to take uh you know a, a a local, uh, a guy that mm-hmm. is living on your place or whatever. Um, were any of these deer that you took, were they locals on your properties or these guys? Cause you're your first big one. You took in November. Um, the first one was October 26th. Oh, it was, I thought it was during November actually. Maybe it was yeah. just cause you had posted it on your Instagram or whatever later than yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I probably put the video together and posted it later, but yeah, that, that first one was October 26th. So and was he the a second resident? one was, he was uh, the interesting thing about that one though, is which this is pretty rare for a property. Cause this, this property wasn't new to me where I killed that one. Um, but I still have yet to figure out what deer he is from the previous year. Right. And so that he was a local buck. He was there. I actually saw him October 3rd, the third day of the bow season here in Iowa. Um, and after I killed him, I you know pulled other cameras and found he, he was there a decent amount of the month of October. So he was very much a local buck. I just don't know what deer he was from the previous year. Like, I don't know if he's the deer just made an unreal jump, you know, size wise or 
you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's living on, was living on a part of a farm that a part of the farm that I just didn't have much Intel from. And he kind of moved in and took another mature buck spot or I don't know. It, it's hard to say, but it, it's pretty rare that I don't recognize a deer from a previous year, at least on a property that I've hunted before. And this was just one of those kind of strange scenarios. So this, this is, pretty cool that not knowing that i thought that you took two rut bucks and then one late season buck but you actually took kind of a, a pre-rut buck yep. and then a, a rut buck and then one in the late season tell us real quick about the other two and then i'm gonna have questions for you about how each each of them was taking your process in each one of them yeah so that first one is very much a classic late October hunt and we can get into that. But yeah, it was a late October. I was going after him because I had encountered him late or earlier in the season. So he was, he was a resident, but the second one was on the new property that I was talking about. I killed him on November 13th. So, you know, right in the middle of the, the peak rut here in Iowa. And that deer is very much, again, it was a classic rut hunt, but I was hunting him. He had started to show himself a lot more on, my new property starting around mid-October is when he really started to, to, I think my first picture of him was like October 14th and just slowly but surely started making, you know, more and more appearances. Um, I kept the pressure off that farm, had a decent amount of doe, does, all that type of stuff. And I killed him, you know, cruising mid-afternoon, like at mm -hmm. one thirty in the afternoon or something like that. So, um, yeah, kind of a classic midday rut hunt on that one. And then, uh, for my final bow tag late season, uh, really was just going out pretty low pressure, pretty low expectations for the late season in general. Um, having killed two good books already, I just wanted to really enjoy it and, you know, see if I could chase one down with a bow and had a, a really good series of hunts to finish it off. And I killed this deer in the last day of the season here in Iowa. He came in with like five minutes left in the season. So Oh, wow. It's, uh, you know, reflecting back at, especially now, it's still crazy to me just how it all unfolded. It was, it, you know, you couldn't draw it up any better than there was so many aspects of this season that were, were special to me, but like just getting the enjoyment back of it. I, I really focused last season on, you know, trying to make it less business-like, less work-like, just, you know, try to just, eliminate some of those things that I'm thinking about in the stand and really just get back to my roots, that style of hunting where you're just, you're just focused on one thing. You're, you're there for a reason. You're not, you're, you're not letting your mind drift off to career stuff or whatever. Um, and I can't tell you looking back how much I needed that. Um, I didn't realize it until I went through it, but you know, it was just a special season from the standpoint of just getting back to enjoying hunting or what it was meant to be. Um, yeah. of course, it's... having a season like that helps, but I think the bigger takeaway for me is not, uh, the deer I killed specifically. It's the, it's what I got out of it. And, and I was reminded of why I love doing it. Reminding yourself that it's supposed to be fun. Is yeah. supposed to be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, obviously that's not relatable to everyone because not everyone, you know, makes hunting a part of their career. But for me it is. And anytime you start mixing your passion with your career, that's when you just have to be a lot more diligent on, you know, how you separate the two and, and making sure you dedicate time. I think it it's more relatable than some might think because not only 
I mean, whether it's you don't have a whole lot of time to hunt from your from your job. So you put this pressure on yourself that you need to get it done. Yeah. And and then, you know, the the other thing is, is just with, you know, the the pressure to to kill big bucks or older age class bucks and this trophy hunting that we've, you know, kind of become part of our culture it doesn't matter whether it's your career or not you know you all of us a bunch of us head out in the field feeling like we've got to maintain these certain expectations you know what i mean and we put these expectations on ourselves instead of just enjoying it now with that said you killed three giants (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean that helps there's no giants that helps (laughs) you know but tell us about that first one and then you know were these were these three like where they rank on the uh, uh you know all of your your list of bucks over your career where where are these are are any of them your biggest buck you've ever taken that first one was the biggest from an inch standpoint yeah that first one in october was was my biggest i had killed a couple of deer in the 80s uh, but never had broke that 190 mark so he was oh, my wow. biggest um you know a, a cool part of that story that's a little bit untold of that first october buck um i think i might have mentioned it briefly in the video but i haven't went into detail it's a little bit bittersweet to talk about because this this gentleman's not and not doing great right now health wise, but the day before I killed, so I killed the morning of October 26th. Um, the day before I killed, is just kind of a, a cool part of the story. Um, I got hooked up through the landowner through this gentleman that was diagnosed with a terminal illness. Um, he had cancer really bad and, you know, he was given a certain amount of time to live, but he had been fighting it for a couple of years. And, um, you know, he, he had done a lot of hunting a while back, um, kind of, you know, didn't do as much lately, but wanted to, you know, go on a bow hunt. And, um, I got hooked up with him, was able to take him out that previous night, October 25th. And, you know, just had a really enjoyable evening in the blind with him. And he killed a, a great deer, like a, you know, mid fifties, upper fifties, mature 10 pointer, uh, just an awesome hunt. We saw two shooters that night. Um, just really, really cool hunt, really enjoyed spending time with him, uh, in the blind. Uh, so it was, it was the, the cool part was going into that next morning. Yeah. I think my mindset was, was very low pressure. Um, just like hey, coming off of such a cool high that night before getting this gentleman a deer. It was just like, Hey, let's just go out and enjoy the morning. Conditions are good. Weather's awesome. You know, just go enjoy it. And then, you know, I have one of the greatest hunts of my life that next morning but it was pretty cool coming off of that it's just uh um you know just just a crazy 24 hours of yeah deer hunting like you know what what we all dream of um so that was pretty cool um and and that gentleman he and i have you know some become friends and and stayed in touch and then um i'm hoping he's gonna you know keep fighting we'll be able to do it again this fall um, but just a, a really cool part of the story and I, I did film it. I just haven't put that hunt together yet. I, you know, I kind of wanted to, you know, maybe wait and see if, if he could, you know, kind of tell his story a little bit, but at some point I'll, sh- I'll share the video of that as well. But, um, but yeah, it was just a, a cool part of that story going into that hunt. It was just such a, such a laid back morning, just, just going out to simply enjoy a late October hunt. And, yeah. You know, couldn't have scripted what happened on that. 
So was this, uh, I, I take it, it was the same property that you went back to the next morning, correct? It wasn't the same spot. It was spot, a different was property. It? it was a few miles away. It was a, it was okay. a different property. Um, okay. So yeah, we, we went back and forth uh, trying to debate which one we were going to go to, that one or the one where I killed, but we had more recent trail cam intel on the other one. So we kind of made a decision to go there. He had a limited time to hunt. So we were just going where our best odds were. Uh, that deer that I killed the following morning, I hadn't had pictures of him in, in quite a while. It, it wasn't like he was, you know, I didn't have him on any type of a pattern. No, yeah. I, I think it had been probably 15 days or something since my last trail cam picture, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that long. I don't get worried in that, in that scenario, but it's mm -hmm. certainly not a situation where you're like, Hey, I got that picture. I'm, I'm going in after him. It was nothing like that. It was, it was going in like, let's see if I can have a good hunt. I know this deer's at least been in this area before, you know, let's just see how it goes. <laughs> So was it kind of hit? Go ahead, Evan. I would say you would, you said you saw him on opening day on October 3rd, but you had an opportunity and passed him because of low light plus potential age when you were looking at him. Yeah. So that, that's the other part of the story. I don't always include because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, almost embarrassing this buck ended up being your biggest buck ever and you passed him earlier passed in the him. season yeah okay it's okay. embarrassing to say i passed the world class year but that um it's there's a couple things from that well, yeah i passed it for a couple of reasons one i told you i didn't have hit i couldn't figure out what deer he was so i i don't really love the idea of shooting you know, I, I set personal goals for myself and shooting mature bucks. And so I want to make sure I'm shooting a five and a half year old or deer just because I love the challenge of that. I love seeing them reach their potential, whatever. Uh, so there's a little bit of me that questioned that. And I had climbed into this blind on October 3rd, really just to shoot a couple of does. I'm just, just climbing and shoot a couple of does. Well, of course, he's the first deer that walks by. So I, I really didn't even pick up the bow. I just really studied him with my binos for a long time. He was standing at 25 yards, just trying to figure out what deer he was. And, um, the other, th you know, one other aspect of that is I did have another buck that I had history with that I was waiting to show back up on a different property. And I knew if I killed this one, then I wasn't going to get a chance to hunt that other one. Well, long story short, that buck never showed up, which is why late October, I decided to retarget this buck that I killed. Um, but another thing along with that whole thing, passing a deer, it was a pretty, for lack of a better term, boring hunt, you know, as he walks across the food plot there's low light first thing in the morning there just wasn't much to it i didn't feel like you know to me it's so much about the hunt like a deer walking by the hunt itself could put me over the edge of whether i'm excited enough to shoot him or not like i just put so much stake in the hunt the story to me i just it, to me it just doesn't get any better than that like you know killing deer you can watch a million of them on youtube whatever but the one thing never gets old is the story of a particular hunt or deer farm or person whatever it is yep. um i put a lot of stake in the hunt so that that hunt just didn't do it for me is, is really what it came down to it i think that was probably the number one reason i was just as happy watching that deer walk up into a bedding area and ending the hunt that way the only difference was i didn't pull the trigger that morning i mean everything else yeah, I still got to experience it. I still get to do all this stuff. It just, for whatever reason, something inside of me just said, you know, I'm 
I'm not going to shoot this deer right now. Um, just kind of how it transpired. You know, you know, fortunately looking back, I was, I was given the second chance and had the circumstances were way different at that point. The hunt was, the hunt was way different. And yeah, that's kind of what it came down to. It's, it's a situation that I think is hard to explain. You have to really, you'd have someone would have to be in my shoes and kind of know all the stuff that's going on and just be in that hunt really to understand it. But you know, the yeah. best thing I can describe it as it just, I just didn't get excited on that hunt for whatever reason. I had, you know, too many other things in the back of my mind, other situations, whatever. Um, and then it was early. It was the third morning of the season. Again, I was going out to shoot a couple of those. I knew I had a long season ahead of me and it wasn't, it certainly wasn't a do or die situation right there. Yeah. Hmm. Well, when you, uh, when you went back after him, you, you said earlier that this was this property's kind of pasture land or something like that. Um, did you have a couple of food plots that you had put up in there? Um, how did, how yeah. did it go down? So this property where I killed the biggest one was not the cow pasture property, but oh. uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a property that I put a lot of time and work into you know, putting food plots in. And the, I, I love food plotting. I don't know if it's the, the wannabe farmer in me or what, but I, I love that aspect of it. Um, however, very, very few of the bucks I've killed over my life have been on a food plot. Like I don't, I wouldn't say I love hunting directly on them, but I think they're a very important piece of, you know, getting deer to spend more time on your property, getting does to spend more time on your property, overall nutrition for the deer herd, especially when it gets tough, you know, January, February, March here. Um, I love that aspect of food plotting. Um, but yeah, so there's a food plot in the, in the vicinity. I was probably a hundred, 150 yards away from mm-hmm. a decent brassica food plot, uh, where I killed this deer, but I killed him back in the woods. So part of the story is the October 3rd encounter. I watched which direction he left that morning and October mm-hmm. 3rd, obviously the deer are usually on a pretty good bed to feed pattern. They're not mm-hmm. usually cruising. They're not, they're, they're, pretty much using their core areas. And so I watched the direction he went to bed and that kind of gave me an educated guess on where to hunt him later that month. You know, when I, when I went and killed him the morning of October 26th, I carried a stand it with me in the dark in that morning and set up in between where I encountered him and where I guessed he was going to bed. And I set up right in between and that's where Mm. I killed him. Mm. Yeah. So kind of a transition area. Yeah, it was uh, in between where I thought he was bedding and the food, but also it was uh, adjacent to a good uh, known doe bedding area. And obviously late October, is that's where you want to be. You know, they're, that's when they're slowly but surely starting to check those spots. And um, I had kind of a lot of things going. You know, I saw him there. There's a lot of does a bed there. It just seems like this would be a good place to catch him on a morning like this. And the access was so good. The wind was so good that morning. It was cool walking in. Um, we were coming off of a cold front that night before. And so, you know, it was everything cleared out. It was, it was dead calm. And so just walking in, I could hear bucks sparring. I could hear deer moving around in the dark. So I just walked super slow and took my time getting set up. And, you know, everything just, just one of those times where everything played out to perfection you didn't make any mistakes blowing deer out and you know it, it just everything everything played out really really well and the hunt itself was was crazy i mean the, the people that watched it i'm sure can can attest to it. that's what i love about filming is you know trying to give 
you know, whoever wants to watch the hunt, the best experience as close as possible, you know, reflecting what actually happened and what it was like being in that tree. Um, that hunt was, it was crazy. It was, it was one of the most surreal experiences I've had in the deer woods for sure. So tell us a little bit about actually taking him and what happened. Yeah. So the movement was constant all again, beautiful conditions. Deer were just on their feet the whole morning. I, I'd see, you know, small bucks, uh, sparring, uh, bucks coming in, uh, the dead, uh, the bedding area, does filtering through, uh, it was probably around eight forty-five, I think when I, uh, first, uh, caught a glimpse of him coming and he was probably 70, 80 yards coming through the trees, but just taking his time, not, not, not trying to go anywhere in a hurry or anything, browsing a little bit. Um, he gets to, he's on a trail that, that, in theory brings into about 30 yards or just scrape 30 yards in front of me in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of, he's, he's often to my right kind of angling that way. Well, he stops at 60 and beds down. Oh. And so the, the, I don't know, you know, for guys that haven't experienced that, it's such a change in emotion. You know, you're yeah. watching this deer come, you know, 70, 65, 60, like, you, you know, you're just like, mentally you're ready for it to happen. It's about to happen. And yeah. he it down and your whole mindset just changes. You're like, oh. what in the world do I do? You know, is this, I didn't pack for it all day. Sid. obviously it's, yep. like, you know, late October, I don't have enough camera batteries to make, make it till lunch probably. Um, so, you know, my mindset changed to like, what am I going to do? I can't climb down. He'll see me, but he's yeah. not close. He's, he's too close to call to, He's too close to, you know, sneak out. He's obviously too far to shoot. So it's just one of those situations. You're just like, what in, you know, what in the world am I going to do here? How long is he, how long is he going to lay there? Yeah. 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 What, and then what's he going to do when he gets up? What direction is he going to turn and go back the other way? Or, and you start to think like, could I get away with calling that towards the backside of the tree just to get him to, you know, just pique his curiosity enough. Uh, fortunately, well, I didn't have to. Yeah, go ahead. So. So where you're at and where he bedded a couple things on that. Did you have any kind of terrain that fell off behind you? How open was the vegetation and the floor underneath you? And what direction was he bedded? So the elevation fell off behind me just a little bit. It was pretty subtle. It fell, you know, I was at a little bit out. He and I were at the same elevation behind me where I was blowing my wind fell off a little bit. Uh, which is, you know, I was playing my thermals pretty, pretty heavily that morning just because uh, there was no wind or anything. So I was relying before the sun came up, I was kind of relying on my thermals going out that to that low area. And then as the morning heated up, they were helping me out going the other way. Um, but he, he was bedded uh, somewhat perpendicular to me. Like uh, I was looking at him. He wasn't facing me. He was kind of facing across me a little bit. Um, and again, he was probably 60 yards in front and to my right. So I'm watching him, you know, filming, trying to conserve battery somewhat. So the camera's rolling on and I take it off. But it's just cool. He's so relaxed. And if you've never got a chance to watch a mature buck, especially in a very natural, relaxed state, I mean, it's, it's so cool. Like just, you know, a lot of times they're on edge or they know something's wrong. 
he didn't have a care in the world. He was, he was in his bedroom, right? He was laying down, you know, every couple minutes, he'd, he'd throw his rack around, scratch his back. Um, it was just cool to see a, a, a deer of that caliber in such a relaxed state and just kind of watch what he did. So I was probably watching him for about 20 minutes and I noticed off and to my left, again, he's off to my right, up to my left, I can see a, a family group of does coming my way and they're, they're angling right to my tree. And so my first thought was, this is perfect. This is, this is going to get him on his feet. He'll likely he'll potentially come and check him out. He just lays there. He just washes them. You can see his head turn and follow every single one as they go by. And then I, I don't think the dose have a. I don't think the dose had a clue. He was there. He definitely knew. You know they were there. Obviously, but the dose walked single file, basically rubbing up against the base of my tree. Oh wow! Right by me. I'm like, are you? You're not going to get up and check him out. And he's just, just you just see his head following them. So I think there's four. And then you're probably freaking out like, oh, God, is one of these does going to get me, you know? Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden blow, you know? Oh, oh gosh. Was one of those situations where the thermals had really just started helping me out as far as the rising warm air. But if it would have happened 20, 25 minutes before that, they probably would have got me because uh, they walked straight to the downwind side into that little low spot I was just talking about. So I think I can't remember the exact number, but I think there's four of them that walked by and they walked by me and passed me. And, you know, it was somewhat all clear, but probably a minute later, a fifth doe comes a mature doe. And I've never seen anything like this, but I heard her before I saw her. I, she was grunting loudly, the long drawn out grunts. And, uh, and so as soon as I heard that, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was a buck on these this this group of dose trail or what but as soon as i started hearing the grunting and the and coming i was you know again thought i was in the money this has definitely got to get him up out of his bed and sure enough it did you could see i luckily had the camera rolling at the time of that first doe grunt you see his ears pop up and his head he stuck his head up and he jumped up out of his bed um and this doe just just grunting, grunting nonstop. So I don't she's know how many times she did it. She's grunting. Grunting. Yeah. I don't know if she was trying to communicate to him or communicate to the, the group of does that just came by. She she was trying to get some type of communication across. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But what it was, I have no idea. Cause she she did see him after he jumped up out of his bed. You could see her uh, in my GoPro angle because I had the main camera on him. Yeah. <laughs> You can see her turn and face right at it. Yeah. You know, she continues to grunt, you know, kind of at him. Well, he, his mood has completely changed now. He jumped up out of his bed and he sprints into that scrape that's at 30 yards. Oh. And it was just, you know, self-filming the chaos ensues after that, trying to get on him quick. So he was, it, it looked like he was trying to put on a show for her, basically, as aggressively as he was working that scrape, just tearing it apart. Yeah, she's standing there. She's at probably five yards from my tree at this point, still grunting, and he's just—he's going crazy on that scrape. And he's broadside, so I let go of the camera and, and come to full draw. And right as I start to settle my peep in, settle into my peep, he turns and faces me to paw the ground. Uh -huh. So uh -huh. you know, of course, I got let down to move the camera and all that, and he. 
he then proceeds to just beeline right through that, that doe, which again, she's at like five yards and the, the video is pretty funny at this point. Cause I'm doing everything I can to stop this, this deer. And if you've ever self-filmed, you know, the toughest part about self-filming oh. is getting the deer to stop where you need it to, to be able to let go of the camera, clip on, draw back, all that type of stuff. There's a, there's a huge difference between that and just being at full jaw ready and just stop and shoot. You know, there's, there's so many more steps. So at first I started at a quiet level, you know, what I found over the years, the key is to, to get them to stop without directly looking at you. You admit you want to be just loud enough to get them stop, but not loud enough that they know the exact source of the sound. So at this point, I'm more or less yelling because he hasn't stopped at anything. I think I yell at him five, six, seven times. Um, and he still never stops. He walks right past my tree. Um, and so I'm coming kind of wrapped up behind me at this point, he's six, seven yards away. And luckily the timber kind of ends right there. So I knew he wasn't just going to go out in the open, but I didn't know which direction he was going to go. And he kind of circled back around this point. He's like three yards from my tree, but facing right at me and just nuts, just Fleming throwing his rack around and there's nothing I can do except just film him because I can't obviously shoot at that angle. Um, but the good thing there again, mentally, I keep thinking I'm in the game this whole time, but stuff just keeps happening. Looking at him facing my tree. I'm like, he can't go forward. He'll run into my tree. He can't go. I don't think he's going to go straight backwards. He's either going to turn left and be broadside or turn right and be broadside. And he does some weird swim move thing and goes back behind the, <laughs> behind the branch. And, uh, gotcha. Yeah, it's just sometimes when you when you've been through the whole self filming woes before, it's almost like your expectation is like, okay, how are they going to get away this time? Right? Yeah. Like well, something's yeah. going to happen for this deer to get away. I just don't know what it is yet. When yeah. when stuff like that happens, but fortunately, I was able to stop him one more time when he, he got kind of quartered out, quartered away, um, eight or nine yards. And, uh, you know, he looks up at me, right. Right. Cause I was about to release the arrow. So as, uh, it was very chaotic, but seeing that deer behavior, I think is kind of what put that, that hunt and one of my top hunts of all time, just seeing how that all, all played out and, um, just kind of unique deer behavior with the doe grunting and the buck bedded there and all that, all that. It was just, it was one to remember. And I'm, I'm so fortunate that I've developed a passion for the filming side because um, that's my favorite part. I can go back and watch it and relive it at any time. So it was, it was a Absolutely. pretty special hunt for sure. Absolutely. I'll bet you're, thank you. Well, thank goodness he didn't kill him that first time. I huh? <laughs> Right. As far as for the rest of us to go and dumped him at 25. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Watch that. It's, it's funny because my last, um, my, my last Iowa buck was a 12 point that, uh, bedded down not far from the tree, just like that. I mean, he came walking down a trail that we thought he's about to die and he bedded down and he was probably about 75 yards away from a 70 yards maybe then he got up and he came toward us again and he rebedded at like 30 yards and behind wow. stuff that we couldn't and i understand your pain like you know trying to do i grunt at him do i do this and on ours um my cameraman uh had a commitment 
and he had to be out of the tree at like one o'clock or whatever. <laughs> and so there was like, we got to the point where there was like 25 minutes left and it's like, okay, we either try something now or forever hold our peace because he has to be out of it. He had family pictures with his wife and his new baby and, and there was no getting out of it. He was like, Danny, I'm sorry. There's no canceling this, you know, and this buck is bedded right there. And what we did was, you know, what you contemplated doing and thank goodness you had that doe come along and, yeah. and do it, do it for you, you know, mm-hmm. but w- what I did was just pointed the grunt away from him and tried to cover it up and make it sound as distant as I could. And I hit it a couple of times and that was enough to get him to get up. You know, once I got his attention, he got up and he walked down the hill to see what it was. And I got a 20 yard shot at him, but that, yeah. that I, 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 I'm so excited to go watch this hunt now. And I haven't watched it. I need to go to your YouTube yeah. channel and watch it. Cause just, just hearing you tell the story gets my blood, you know, pressure raised. It'll, it'll do a lot better job of uh, telling the story than I can for sure. But yeah, it, you just don't know how they're going to react to that. Like you, you're fortunate yeah. that, he reacted the right way, but when they're that close, oh, I mean, it, it, it's so is, hard. Is to it going to pinpoint that it's up in the tree, yeah, yeah. or is it? Yeah. You know, can you make it sound like it's on the ground? And I, pr- I think I purposely waited until he was facing the other direction, like he was laying there, but he kept, you know, like you were saying, kind of swinging his head back and forth, and you know, every now and again. And I waited till he was pointed directly away from me, and his ears were cupped directly away, hoping. Yeah that he wouldn't be able to pinpoint where exactly that sound came from. And it, and it, it worked, but it just as easily could have failed. And the, the stress that you feel when that's going on is just like, gosh. And then yours, you know, not only were you feeling that, but then he gets up and he does all that other stuff and ends up at the base of your tree and Mm -hmm. other deer around that you're contending with. And this is, did you know at this point that this would be your biggest buck if you take him? No, he was, he was one of those deers, just a lot bigger, uh, on the ground. You know, I, I knew he was a really good deer. I didn't know he was that big until I walked up to him and, you know, picked him up for the first time. I was like, man, this deer's way bigger than I thought. Yeah. But no, I, that's the thing. I, I don't, one of the most common, I think comments I get on those hunts are, you know, how do you stay so calm? How were you able to pull that off? How did you not get nervous, excited, whatever? I don't feel relaxed. Like, you know, when you talk about the chaos of your situation, that's what it was like in my head too. Like, obviously I, you know, going to a mindset, Hey, I have a job to do. I'm here to you know put a good shot on this deer. I'm, I'm going to execute, but there's stuff that happens that you don't plan for. You don't, you don't, when you envision, you know, how a hunt's going to play down, there's or play out. There's no possible way of seeing all that chaos that happened with the deer running in the, the does surrounding the tree and, and embedded down all that type of stuff. So in my mind, it was chaotic, Yes, um, but I, I don't know if you get that watching it as a viewer. Um, it, it probably appears that I was way more calm than I actually was. Well, I think that it would be because you cut you cut out that GoPro footage. <laughs> <laughs> that GoPro angle saved me. You know, it, the the whole self filming thing like it's just so much you miss because you 
And in that situation, like either I film the does or I film the buck and that's, that's an easy decision, but those does walking by the tree were a huge part of the story. So, you know, thankfully that GoPro was running over my shoulder the entire hunt. Yeah. Um, re- really helped tell that story a lot better being able to show that other footage. Well, it, man, it'd be so worth us talking one day just about handling stress when that happens. I've, I've said it a lot of times where I, I feel like I'm great if, um, if that buck is coming and he follows the script and he does what he's supposed to do. But when, when he hits that point and all of a sudden he changes something at the last second, that's when I mash that panic button and the, the alarm starts going off in my head. And yeah. it's quite honestly, when I make the most mistakes is when I start oh, yeah. to panic like that. And when you start having that many things to think about, and there's some guys that are better at handling that stress than others. And, yeah. you know, I don't know. It, I, I think it gets better with experience. The more times you're put into those situations, the better you are. Some people anyway, I seem to get worse, <laughs> but I mean, having a way to cope with it when things don't go exactly right. And just a, a mantra reminding yourself, just stay mm-hmm. calm, just, you know, it, it, because it it's, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make right there, especially yeah. if you're trying to film the doggone thing. But even if you weren't and, you know, making the right ones are important to, you know, coming out successful. Cause if you make a, a wrong one, not only was that buck, you know, so close that you could have spooked him, but you had other deer that you were contending with around you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're spot on. I think it's a very common issue for guys. I've been fortunate enough that I feel like I've maybe I just handle it. Well, I think part of it's just my, I have a more reserved personality anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that just translates over to that. I don't get as worked up as, you know, a lot of people about little things, but the, uh, the, the mantra part, I think is one thing that I hear a lot of people, um, that being the solution for a lot of guys, yeah. just st- stay in the moment. You're there for a reason. You're there yeah. to execute this and just don't get carried away with all the other stuff. Like I, I think it applies to not just anything. I mean, if you're in like an emergency situation in life or something, yeah. Like you still need to stay in the moment, focus on the reason you're there, focus on mm-hmm. your training or whatever it is that you're supposed to do um, at that time. Yeah. I don't think it's really any different than that. Well, yeah. I think training yourself to, to be able to let something, to be able to accept it if he walks away. Yeah. And, you know, because sometimes I think that the, the more you want it, and the more pressure you're putting on yourself, the harder it is to contend with that stuff. And the more, you know, the, the more times I go into it with an attitude where I'm like, if it happens, fantastic. If it doesn't, it's okay. You know what I mean? Then I tend to make less mistakes. Does that make sense? Having having that mindset that like in this situation, it's still October. You still have the rut coming that wind's been good. The doze didn't bust me. He doesn't know I'm here. If it doesn't happen now, he's going to go back to bed. I can get out of here whatever time I need to. He's not going to have a clue. He's still huntable. You haven't bumped him. You haven't pressured him. And you're going to get another opportunity. That's that's cool if you're on your home turf. But what if you took your vacation time to go out there? Then 
you know what I'm saying? And you got, you know, three or four days left or something like that. And it's, it just depends upon the situation, but man, it's, it's very situational, but at the same time, like, Hey, hey you didn't kill that one. There's going to be another, maybe it's not this season. Maybe it's next season, but it's never the end of the world. When we're talking bow hunting deer, it yeah. goes back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, Danny, with you saying the pressures we put on ourselves, that's right. That's where it can get, you know, exponentially worse if you putting all this pressure on yourself like this is my only chance my buddies have all killed good deal yeah, or like yeah. i really need something to you know show my friend whatever those pressures are that you're yeah. putting on yourself from external factors that's where it can get worse when the reality is hey you're in control you, you, you don't kill this deer who cares there will be another one like yep. it's well. just staying in the moment i think and that's the thing i've i've of course, I've been producing and filming hunts for a really long time now, and it's it's always funny to see like some of the comments. Uh, not not very often, but sometimes you'll see like, "Oh, you you know you you got to kill one for the show, otherwise you don't have you know good content." Or whatever. And I always laugh because like I've never done that in my life. Like that's to me, it seems so crazy that I would choose to kill a deer just for someone else's pleasure of watching it or, you know, or, or yeah. still some other obligation. Like it seems so silly to me, but I know that that's out there. I know whether, whether it's social media influences or whatever it is, I know that's a very real thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just a very big proponent of guys hunting for you, like hunt for yourself, your own motivations, put, you can put your own, you know, stipulations on. If you want to kill a certain age class, certain size class, that's fine, but don't let someone else put that on you. You know, you hunt for yourself the way you want to do it. Um, I think as long as you keep that in mind, it's going to solve a lot of problems. I think that's some very wise things you just said, honestly. Um, So, man, that buck was so interesting. We've spent a a long time on him, but now you're going to have to go watch it now. Hey, dude, I'm going to. (laughs) I'm totally going to. We'll put the links in the, in the show notes so you guys can see these three films, but yeah, that I want to hear about this, this rut hunt too. Cause yeah, this, yeah. this is again, new farm. So you haven't even had it a full year. It's more right. pasture ground. So you haven't, you haven't really put much work into it. What, how did that all transpire? Cause you said he was a home buck. So you knew he was around. Yes. So going back, I, I, I told you, I think is the first picture was around the 14th of October of him. So I knew he was in the neighborhood, but I also knew he was not living on my farm. I knew he was in the neighborhood, but I also knew that I had a good amount of does. I had a good amount of, um, later season, like rut type cover. And by that, I mean, still thick cover, even once all the crops and stuff were picked, you know, in my area of Iowa, cover can get pretty scarce once the standing crops come down, once the vegetation starts dying, all that type of stuff. But I knew I still had just with the the age of the trees and everything like that and the understory, I knew I had some really good all season type bedding there. The other really big aspect to this is when I first walked this property before I bought it, um, I had this feeling that it was going to be the most huntable farm I've ever been on. And by that, I mean, if there was a deer spending any amount of time there, he's if he was on the property, he's killable. Yeah. There's enough pinch points, funnels, force movement type aspects to the terrain that, you know, it was going to be, you're going to likely get multiple encounters with a buck and you're going to get your shot at some point if you put your time in. I've, uh, I've also, found a lot of properties. 
Yeah, go oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Jared, but also no, because good. of because of access to all those access. Tools. Yep, access and layout, I think, are probably the two main things. You can there the access was good enough that you can hunt spots multiple times without burning it out. You can get out clean, especially. Um, but the, also the way there's a creek that runs through the middle of the property and it just S's all the way through. Every time it S's, it creates a pinch point with the, with the trees and the, the thick cover. So there's a lot of spots. I should say there are a lot of spots on this farm that the deer are eventually going to walk by um, if you're sitting in, in the stand long enough. Um, that's, that's the other thing I think it's a little bit people don't think about is, you know, you may get a trail cam picture of a buck in one spot and you think, you think about that one spot, how many other spots did he walk by earlier that day or later that day, this farm, it's like, yeah, he, he probably walked by all these potential tree stand locations. There's probably eight of them that he walked by that day or more, you know, <laughs> I funded a lot of properties before. They're very, very challenging to hunt. Like you, know, you can't see very far or there's nothing that forces they can walk wherever they want. There's nothing that pinches them down. This property is the opposite. It's just a very, very huntable property. So that, that played a big role um, in this November hunt. I started getting more pictures of this deer and, and it was a good time of year and wanted to move in. And I hung this stand right on the Creek and kind of pinched down right there. Just a good, good cruising spot. It was in between different, what I thought were bedding areas. I didn't really know the property well enough yet, not having owned it very long to really say like, Hey, here's where the deer bed. But you know, my best guess is it was in between some of those spots. And one unique thing about this hunt is that I had never that I can recall anyways, I, I don't remember ever hunting one particular tree three days in a row. And that's what I did to kill this deer. Again, it goes back to if you put the time, he's eventually going to walk by this tree. I knew that in my head, I just have to be there when he does. Um, and so the, it was the third afternoon of three straight days, sitting the exact same stand morning, afternoon, morning, afternoon, morning, afternoon, killed him on the third afternoon of, of three days straight doing that. Um, now, and he are those by it like he walked like he's walked by it a hundred times, like he was very comfortable just cruising right by it. Were those all day sits, or were you taking short breaks and coming back in? Short breaks. I, I would okay. uh, usually climb down either to go get a little work done, or go like one day I went and met my wife and daughter for for quick lunch, and then climb back in the tree. Uh, met a buddy for lunch, climb back in the tree. So I was getting down for really short breaks, but I was trying to get back in the tree by you know, one o'clock, one thirty, whatever it was. I, I wasn't trying to just hunt the the real late afternoon movement based on the time of year. So, so when you're doing that, because now I'm thinking about scent and again, you've got Creek access. So you're, yep. you're minimizing, especially that one, because I know more of the details where there was water in there that was frozen. So what are you doing when you get back to the truck? as far as your gear and your scent are you are you putting everything in just a tote do you use a scent bag with ozone what is what is your go-to yeah i mean first of all i think it's a really good point because there are a lot of spots you i couldn't have got away with doing that the, the fact that literally i climbed down the tree and the tree is even with the creek bank so i just keep going down the creek bank i'm in the creek there's no extra steps to get to the creek from the base of my tree which is huge. You know, I'm not walking across this pinch point to get out to my truck. Yeah, yeah. So it's creek out, 
So I'm, you know, a long ways away from the deer. I'm walking a cattle pasture basically back up to my truck. Um, I was leaving everything I could in the tree, knowing that I was going to get back into it. So all my filming gear, my pack, uh, even my bow, I was leaving everything set right there. So I was very, you know, light and quick in, quick out. Wasn't, you know, generating more, more sweat, more odor, whatever. Everything was very easy. Get back to my truck. I changed into, I got rid of my hunting clothes, changed into my normal clothes that I wear from my house to the property. Um, put it back in the, t- put the hunting clothes back in the tote where they, they always stay. So I, I usually, I don't usually run a ozone machine or anything in my clothes. I just, I, I maybe wash my clothes more than the average guy, you know, every, every two, three days I'm, I'm washing my clothes, just trying to keep them, you know, I think it's pretty hard to keep clothes scent free if you're not, um, even if you're just wearing them in and out to the tree, you're still generating a lot of odor and moisture and stuff like that. So it's hard to, I've never <clears throat> put my clothes in the tote and, and just kept wearing them out of there for like a week straight. I'm usually every two or three days I'm washing them and, and keeping them clean. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, just, just getting undressed, going and getting lunch back, get dressed again. Did you have a tree. Did you have other movement that was happening from that stand that kept you kind of confident? Yeah, it was, it was pretty steady. Almost all three of those days. Very, very similar. That's the other thing to hunt a stand the same three days. You got to have a good wind direction too. a steady mm-hmm. wind direction. Can't have opposite winds. In, in most cases you can't anyways. Um, all three days we had a North or West wind. So both of those worked for that stand. Um, but yeah, it was the movement because I was back in the cover, back in the bedding area. It was all day long. You know, I didn't really go more than, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes, maybe at the longest stretch without seeing deer roll through. It was just yeah. and a lot of times awesome. it was single bucks. A lot of times it was just single buck cruise by single buck cruise by. I didn't, yeah. I, I saw very, very few does throughout the day. I'd see them first thing and I'd see them last thing, but throughout the day it was almost just single bucks cruising hitting spot to spot to spot which you know it's not not a surprise very 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 typical rut movement but it was it was cool to see it play out like that so you had enough does in that area to where you were pretty confident that at some point he was gonna he dump the one that he had and come through there looking for another one yeah yeah i was i was pretty confident that he was gonna walk by at some point I, again i just needed to be there um but the does, yeah, they, they were probably, you know, especially the ones that weren't paired with a buck, they were probably just laid up most of the day, either hiding to not get harassed or yep. or what, but yeah, I just, yep. I saw very, very few does. I knew they were there. You know, yeah. I knew I had a, had enough good cover and good food for them to be there, but they, you know, they were, they didn't move much uh, those three days. Yeah. Cool. How, how big did that buck end up being? He was right at 170, just a good couple eights over 170. Yeah. Yeah. He was a cool deer. Obviously no history again, just being a a brand new property. Um, I did have multiple neighbors and stuff uh, reach out after I killed it and sent pictures and stuff. But, um, you know, I basically had known of that deer for whatever, two or three weeks, whenever I got my first stroke in picture of him. Yeah. So, and he's, 
He's the one that I'm looking at your Instagram page right now. He's the one that has the main beams that kind of turn up, or at least yeah. it does on one side. He's a cool looking buck. Yeah. How how yeah. big were these two farms, Jared? The the October farm. How big is that one? So that one is like a little over 300 acres, um, but it's kind of broken out into two sections. Okay. And the section I was hunting was 100 acres. Okay. Um, and then, and and then, then the, the second one is also a hundred acres. Okay. Okay. And then the last one, is that one of your current farms or is that a permission piece? It's a, it's a lease. So I'd never leased a property in my life until last year. Um, so this is my first lease property had a, had a landowner. Well, had a, a buddy of mine that I grew up with his, his dad had purchased a new property and he was interested in, leasing the hunting rights out so i um, got hooked up with him and uh, and did that but kind of cool to have spots like that where you can you know have the control i obviously have permission farms too but you know, as everyone knows permission farms are just that like you there's a limit to what you can do there's potentially other people involved it's, so it's nice to have those yep. spots where other than the one farm i own um it's nice to have spots where you can have a little more control and you know, have more input as far as the amount of work that goes into it. Um, but yeah, that, that last one is uh, a little over 150 acres size wise. So, so walk us through that one. Cause again, late season. So you're hunting some type of ag. Did they, did they pull corn off of that? And then you were hunting stocks or how did that one play out? So this one, I was actually hunting a brassica plot that I had planted late summer and we had a pretty, pretty bad drought. I tried planting some beans, not too far away, never got any rain last summer, but they didn't grow. So really the only option I had were, was those brassica plots and a lot of the ag fields were pretty picked over or tilled up at that time. Um, so the deer, same thing, their, their food options were dwindling as well. And this brassica plot um was a pretty good hot spot the nice thing i like about that even though it wasn't a designated late season food source uh, the nice thing about it was that it was a, a bow huntable food source you know it was a little half acre plot um, so that's what allowed me to to be pretty aggressive late season with a bow um was to get in again creek access creek and ditch access to hunt the same stand over and over again and a lot of times when you're hunting late season food sources, they're usually bigger, right? They're usually two, three, four plus acres of food. And you're usually, you know, sometimes limited because of cover, you're limited to a box blind or whatever mm -hmm. it is. The nice thing about this, again, it, which made it so much more enjoyable was I could actually go to the tree stand every time. I good access to the tree stand, could almost shoot the entire plot. Everything was within bow range. Um, so that was really cool. I saw this buck. Um, he was one that I picked out of, as a very obvious mature deer. Um, again, another first year property. So I didn't have history with any of these deer, right. but, um, picked him out as a very obvious mature deer. And I saw him the first night of that five or six night stretch that I hunted. And I saw him again with five minutes left, um, in, in the season. So, uh, yeah, access access was probably the number one key. And then, you know, having, even though it was really small, having a food source at that time of year was probably the second key. 
Was was that more of a staging plot out to a bigger ag field or? It was. I don't know where they were going after that. There usually weren't very many deer left on it at dark. So for that reason, I, I do think it was a transitional or staging food source. Um, I imagine they kind of just broke up everywhere and went somewhere in the neighborhood to a picked ag field. I just don't know where. Um, it, it was kind of funny. Every Every afternoon that I got in the tree stand, I would climb up and first thing I'd do, I'd look off to my right about 200 yards and I would see the deer milling around this bedding area every day. I'd watch, I'd watch them. You could just see them. They, they're constantly up and walking around even at wow. one o'clock in the afternoon. Hmm. But what's funny is, and this was on the property, those deer, I never, not a single one of them ever came to that food plot. Every deer that I could see from the stand when I first got in, they went somewhere else. They never came my direction. It was always mm. deer that I couldn't see. They were bedding to my left somewhere that eventually came to that plot. So that kind of tells me that they probably had multiple options in the neighborhood as far as destination food sources. I just don't know exactly where they were at because there wasn't anything super close. There wasn't anything within eyesight for me as far as a, a pig bag field. Right. It doesn't look like it was mm. that. Well, maybe it was cold, but usually when I think of late season, you know, the end of Iowa season, you want snow on the ground and everything. And it doesn't look like there was much snow at all. Yeah, in, not in not when I killed him in that five or six day stretch. We, we, there were snow multiple days, but right. that last night was probably the warmest of all of them. Really? Um, yeah. Which, you know, was kind of surprising that he even came in that night, but yeah, it was, it was not ideal late season conditions on that night. Some of the nights were, and I saw there were a couple nights where I saw 30 deer. Um, but that last night I didn't see too many. He just was fortunate. He came all the way in. I, I spotted him a ways off because the way they come from, you can usually see him. And he, it was actually a series of three small plots. They were just natural openings in the timber. So I put food in every single one of them. Uh, just a brassica blend and so he actually worked through the first two and barely fed and for some reason he picked that third one where i was that night to feed and if he if he would have taken an extra five minutes working his way to me it would have been too dark mm. were you in a box blind or in a wow. stand tree stand tree stand yeah, that's yep. awesome that is awesome and that would would that one end up going i mean these are three world-class deer i didn't actually score that one he he wasn't as big as the other ones but just a cool mature deer i think again the, the cool part about him was just the the challenge of late season bow hunting from a tree stand you know with those late season conditions deer on edge there were nights where i heard more gunshots than the amount of deer i saw i mean it's just Jeez. it's just kind of what it is around here it, it's very the deer have been pressured for weeks now the the Iowa gun seasons have come and gone recently and the deer, you know, get pushed around a ton. So very high pressure deer. Um, but, but being able to do it like that was probably the coolest part of that hunt is, you know, to, to kill late season mature buck with a bow is, is a challenge anywhere, but especially in those pressured neighborhoods. Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. Um, and after listening, to you on that last time that you were on the podcast where you almost sounded pessimistic about this season. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? You do it. Right. 
you did. You're yeah. talking about drought and talking about how there's just something's off. Something doesn't feel right, you know? And yeah. if you guys go back and listen to that podcast that he did with Bill, not only is it a really good podcast for teaching you some, uh, you know, some concepts and ideas about, you know, how to, how to take good bucks during the, during the October uh, timeframe. But if you listen to Jared going into this, it's, it's funny that his season ended up like this, you know, it's you, almost, just, you just never know. It's uh, a good example of it. Don't, yeah. don't, don't lose, lose faith. Maybe it was uh yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was a, like I said, it was a very enjoy, enjoyable season. And I, I got to that point of where I was like, I, whatever happens, you know, I'm going to try to remove as many stresses as possible. And so maybe the, the deer guys were rewarding me for that. I don't know. <laughs> you were doing well, and, something. And your ability really, again, going back to that, to enjoy the hunt itself and what's going on. If you hadn't really taken in what that buck was doing on October 3rd and where he was going, if you'd have just dismissed it as a, you know, first time chance sighting, yeah, he's a younger buck and just dismissed it would you have ever thought about going and setting up between those two points in hopes that he no, might show up again? Probably not. I mean, and that may be something that I take for granted. Like, you know, the things I think about, maybe I, you know, don't communicate those often enough from an educational standpoint, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, that was a huge factor in why I hung a stand there that morning for that hunt. That was almost a hundred percent due to seeing him do that a few weeks prior um so yeah it's just it, it's taken another good example of how those little things can cannot make a huge difference and be the difference in some cases yeah well awesome um what do you what do you have coming up this year so uh, i'm going to try to replicate this uh <laughs> this pessimism so i can hopefully no um Another iowa trifecta is it yeah. do you have anything other than iowa i mean i think you went on a montana elk hunt last year didn't you or was that you were not last year and i didn't draw again this year so um a little bummed about that but on the whitetail side i'm hoping to go to kentucky again um that's that's kind of been an annual routine these last couple of years uh, i really enjoy it it's a it's a cool Kentucky to me is a little bit of a sleeper state, you know, from like the quality of deer hunting they have and quality of deer. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, for me, it's a cool place to just go out and kind of work out the kinks early. You can, they open like September yep. 4th or 5th, yeah. um, super early. So like before you're even starting to think about tree stand time here in Iowa, you can be, you know, getting some time in down there. Um, and not to mention they have some, some really, really good deer. Um, yeah. I killed one in 2019 down there. I haven't killed one since, but, um, killed one in 2019 down there. Pretty cool to be able to hunt deer that are either in velvet or just coming out of velvet. Um, yeah. So that's one trip I'm, I'm looking forward to, but man, it's, it's hard to leave Iowa for, for most of the season. It's, you know, <laughs> especially you have three buck tags as a landowner, you know, and the, the chance I've never filled all three, up until last year so it's not it's not like it's a common occurrence but as long as you have a tag in your pocket it's it's hard to it's hard to leave iowa too much yeah yeah no kidding well well the 
that first book, all of them are awesome, awesome stories too. But that first book, man, I can't wait to go watch that one. And, and just for those of you listening that want to look Jared up, uh, his YouTube channel is just Jared, Jared Mills, all one word at Jared Mills. And you'll find him and he's got some really cool videos on there. Uh, Any, anywhere else that you'd want to tell him to find you, Jared? No, it's, I mean, I, I have social media. I'm just not very active on there. I just, I think YouTube's probably the best spot. That's where I'll provide all the updates. That's where I'll put all the content. Um, it just seems like that's where people enjoy watching videos these days. And so that's probably the best spot to find. That's where I'll, I'll probably put everything. Nice. Well, cool, man. We appreciate you coming back on. We'll do it again. Um, it'd be cool sure. to have him on right there during that same time of year. I haven't like smack, early smack October. your October back and then go get ready for your rut hunt and <laughs> see what he's thinking about the season. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See how he's feeling. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I, I got to remember how I acted last year. Cause I don't want to change a thing. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Well, we appreciate it. Hope everybody enjoyed it. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks guys.